there, good evening and welcome to Jersnet for your Sunday night um, podcast tonight where we look ahead, or look behind rather, to um, a pretty dismal afternoon at Hamden again for for Rangers today. This is Jersnet and then we will keep you for another hour or so. Happy to be joined tonight by Brian Archer. Hi Brian, how are you? Good, how are you? Yes, no bad. Well, things considered, it's hard to even sound positive a little bit, to be honest with you. I mean, I have to be honest. Stuart Weir may have a better idea or a better way of making us sound positive. Hi, Stuart, how's it going? Hi, Scott. Hi, Brian. How are we? Fantastic evening. Looking forward to the next uh, hour or so. <laughs> yes, listen, it's a good thing we can laugh. Um, a really, really dismal day, I think. Um, and I, I, do you know, if there was ever a way to end the season, Early, it's probably Brian losing a, a, a semi final at, uh, at Hamden to, to Celtic, isn't it? It was just a poor afternoon for us today. It was, yeah. I think, to be honest, it was probably what we all feared. I, I never felt we would get beaten badly today. I just always felt that in both boxes we would lack the cutting edge that, that they would show. And I think that's that's what proved, to be honest. I felt for, for large parts of that game we competed, um, they never cut us open. Many occasions, to be honest, we were the masters of our own downfall yet again, as we've been so often this season. We don't take our chances when they present themselves. Again, another major issue that needs resolving, but it was just kind of like we've seen this movie before. Um, and yeah, if we could end the season right now, I'd happily take it because the summer's badly needed. Stuart, one of the, the sort of big talking points on the, on the run-up to the game um, this afternoon probably was the, the recent sort of missing Connor Goldson and Ryan Kent and whether either of those would, would be drafted straight back in as starters. There was a wee bit of debate over whether if, if Goldson was fit to start, Ben Davies would perhaps miss out and Suter would play, thus taking away this balance that people kind of get arty-farty around having a right-sided centre-half and a left-sided centre-half. Turns out he did go with Davies, who I thought played OK today. Um, did you think Goldson and Kent should have wandered back in? Considering Kent's sort of input to the day, I think probably not, to be honest. I think uh, in the first half, in fact, I think throughout the match, you saw one or two of the interventions of um, Goldson, especially, and you thought to yourself, there's somebody who is actually switched on for the game, especially in the first half. Yeah. Um, Kent, I would have to say, as I felt for uh, a number of weeks, maybe even months, and I've been a big defender of Ryan Kent given what he can possibly offer I just thought he was a complete non-entity today Yeah. Um, I, I, I will remember, I mean I've been a lot about Graham Soonest today on Sky and retiring from Sky um, there was an old firm game Rangers were still trailing Celtic in the, the title race and it was the New Year game and Rangers won it 2-0. It was soon as his first uh, New Year game. Um, and he basically strutted around the midfield, dominated the midfield. But on several occasions, he, thumped, he basically put the ball out to David Cooper with the words, accompanied by the words, here, you're the fucking winger, do something. <laughs> um, and... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not making that up. I have that good authority from actually a couple of Celtic players that played in that game. And it was it was soon as basically saying, I haven't picked you in this team just to make up the numbers. I want to see something f- from you. And if you're as much of a, a hero 
or even a, a legend amongst the Rangers fans as you think you are, here, shows what you're about. And Cooper had a great game. I think Kent, on, at times, is left to his own devices. It's, um, you know, it's almost like he, he, he takes passes and gets the balls, and he'll go here and he'll go there. But he's alone to himself. And I don't think I don't think there's anybody in that team. And I, honestly, maybe maybe it's because he's detached, say, from the, the the captain who is, you know, diametrically opposite where he plays in the pitch. Yeah. There's nobody telling this guy, "Come on, we need a bit more from you. This is what you need to be doing. This is where you need to be," or even just go at him, cajoling him into actually doing something. Yeah. And he he struts around as we saw today. Everybody thinking that he'll come good. But for weeks, there's been no hint or evidence that this guy is going to come good ever again for Rangers. And I don't just mean in an old firm semi-final. I mean in, in his time at Rangers. You know, it almost looks as if he's given up and doesn't really want anything else to do, do with it other than protect himself from any of these scary tackles that might come his way. And, and I, I thought it was a pretty deplorable performance from him. Not just him, there were several others in that team who really, you know, if they don't take a good look at themselves, then somebody else managerially should be taking a look at them. But it was very, very poor, given the stage and the platform that he should have been crying out to play on. Yeah, listen, I don't think there's any doubt that we've... Um Today we've seen a, a sort of Rangers game that I think has been sort of the beginning of the end for many of the um, the players. And I think that's been, you know, Brian, I don't know what you think, but I think that's been a sort of running theme for a, for a few weeks now, to be perfectly honest with you. I think you, you see a few of them that are just not necessarily running out of steam and I lose to say down tools because I think that's really unfair and I'm sure they're not doing that. But there certainly seems to be one or two um who don't seem to be pulling their weight in the manner that you would expect them to in a, in a blue jersey. Yeah, I think there's possibly three or four in that team that know that their futures lie elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a few of them that probably know that's required. But Ryan Kent, for me, looks like a man that knows that he needs a fresh challenge. He knows that his time is up and he's just kind of counting down the days until the summer. It feels like... That anyway, and certainly Morelos as well for me, he's got that, that similar look about him that he knows that he's not going to be here beyond the summer, he knows there's another challenge waiting him and he's just kind of biding his time now until that that contract ticks down. Yeah, I think we know that that's been the case, that there's going to be a major overhaul in the summer, you know, Bill's talked about it often enough about how big this overhaul is going to be. My, my only worry with this is that we're, we're going to may have a problem getting some of these players out the door that are still under contract. There's yeah. numerous players there that, you know, a couple of years ago we could have got some new money for and now we're going to struggle. Um, and players that aren't even getting the team, how do you how do you demand a significant fee for guys like Glenn Kamara when, when he's not getting in the team? Whereas two years ago they were talking about upwards of ten million pounds for him. Um, yeah. for me there's real lessons to be learned over the last kind of two or three transfer windows of when is the right time to sell your your key assets when when their values are the highest? And we've missed that window of opportunity with three or four of them. So I think it's badly needed to clear out in the summer. Bill said today that you know you're potentially looking at double figures in terms of incomings and outgoings. That's badly needed. But then there's also the kind of caveat of that kind of squad overhaul takes time as well. 
we cannot afford a slow start next season. We need to be hitting the ground running in pre-season and going full steam ahead when the season kicks off in uh, July or August. Yeah, it's very, it's very depressing to think you're thinking about the start of next season already, isn't it? Five games still to go in the season and you know that everything's effectively bust. Sure, were you going to say something there? Sorry? I, mean, I, was, I was going to pick up on something that Brian had said there and he, he, and he made a, a, a relevant point, um, whether he agrees with me or not, but it, what he said was about Kent looks like a guy who needs a new challenge. If, if Kent perceives that he needs a new challenge, then he's the one that's doing that thinking for himself. You know, I think he would happily be accepted by Rangers and Rangers fans if he'd been doing a job that we, you know, that, 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 that we've seen in the past that everybody knows he's capable of. I just think, you know, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the phrase down tools, I don't think it, well, I, you know, I, I might use that myself now and again, but I, I think everybody gives of their best. But I think he's quite happy for it to, his best to be 75% or 80%. I don't yeah. think he, he's given, given his all simply because I think he, he believes that he's maybe no longer wanted at Rangers. And, and again, the point that Brian made, absolutely justified. You know, and what, in the, in the, in the work environment, you know, you be, might be comfortable in your job, but I, I learned, I, I, you know, many years ago um, from other people who knew a lot more than I did at the time. If somebody makes you an offer you can't understand, take it, you know, <laughs> because you know, because it might never come again. Yeah. And and I and I go back to these, whether they were spurious figures or from the pen of Hans Christian Anderson, I'm not sure that somebody was going to pay Rangers 13 million quid for Morelis or that Ryan Kent was going to be worth 10 million quid or 12 million quid um, from an English Premier League side, be it Leeds or Southampton or whoever it might be. If that was the case, take it, bite their hands off, spend a million quid in in wrapping paper and sellotape and postage (laughs) to make sure he gets there and let him go. Because... Because these guys are never going to reach that kind of those kind of figures again, or that or that kind of kind of value. And if you're, you know, managerially challenged, or your your um, scouting system is so challenged that you cannot find replacements for these people by the time the next transfer window comes round, you shouldn't be doing that job either. Yeah, you know, I I just think I I I think let's be fair here. Morelos, as we've touched upon him, costs next to nothing given the return that he's had. But I always think his goals, um, you know, I had a a, a, a slight debate with somebody on on Twitter, but he scored more goals in Europe than anybody else. That's because he's played more games in Europe than anybody else. If you take Derek Johnson, for instance, who up until Ali McCoy, you know, he was Rangers' best goal scorer. There were some seasons where, you know, at least one season, he didn't play in Europe because Rangers were banned. Another season, Rangers lasted two ties and he never scored a goal. Um, you know, and there was there were several seasons like that. Whereas Rangers were almost guaranteed, given the fact that they were playing Sunday League teams and Church League teams and all the rest of it, you know, from uh, various islands and points in Europe that nobody actually knew existed unless a plane crashed there, that, that he was, you know, suddenly he's, he's being 
he's being, uh, you know, voiced as this fantastic striker. No, he was playing tappy in against teams he should have been scoring against. When push came to shove, he was found to be badly lacking. But they could have made a tidy profit on it. Kent, seven million quid, quid was a lot of money for Rangers, a lot of money for Scottish football as well. Um, if 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 you take it over the piece, but that would only buy you a championship player in England. So maybe Rangers did buy a championship player and somebody who was no better than that. And if they did take him on board, they were hoping that he would get better. There was a time where I think people looked at him and thought, yeah, this guy could do something. But that didn't last very long. I would say at maximum, that maybe lasted a, a, you know, a window of about a year over a couple yeah. of seasons. But since, since the turn of the year, and certainly since Van Bronckhorst, sort of last week of his tenure, Kent just hasn't been the same player and hasn't looked interested. Yeah, no, absolutely. I fully agree with you. I agree with you strongly on the Morelos point as well. Um, he's he's doing it at a level you want him to do it. And I appreciate there's maybe some outliers, do you know what I mean, the, the matches against Porto and, and Feyenoord, which incidentally feel like ages ago now when you're getting peak Alfredo Morelos. We've not seen that Alfredo Morelos for a long time. Brian, back to the game today. Uh, I want to speak to the, one of the things that I think everyone um, is really, really frustrated about today, um, and indeed Eck refers to it in his um, his post match pod is eight minutes of of really good watching and listening. I recommend you jump on and have a look. Um, it refers to just the basic errors that led to to their goal. Um, Sorry, Raskin, Barisic, and I think it was it was Kent or Lundstrom, I can't remember off the top of my head, but basically staring at the ball, waiting for it to move towards them, as opposed to either not waiting for the whistle and going and retrieving the ball. Um, that was really frustrating, and I think for professionals, you expect, you think, we say this as professional podcasters, of course, but you think it is a, um, that's a basic that they should just have a grasp of, they should go to the ball, they should not wait in the whistle. Yeah, it's, it's something you're, you're taught, you know, when you're, when you're breaking through, you know, it's not something you expect at senior level in a, in a Scottish Cup semi-final. And what was our kind of biggest game left of the season? It was our only hope it's over with. And you've got, you know, two senior pros just standing looking at the ball waiting on a whistle that's never coming. Um, I couldn't believe that that was happening. I um, Even watching the replays, I just you couldn't believe that professional footballers just stand there and watch a ball and wait for a whistle that's never that's never coming. It just you don't see that when you know in a in a Sunday league, league team you would you wouldn't get away with that. I don't understand how that's in any way happens in a Scottish Cup semi final. It just to me it just doesn't make sense. But it's it's not the first kind of mistake we've seen this season that's been happening all too often. The last few weeks we've seen it at Aberdeen last weekend, we've seen it against St Mirren. We we very rarely concede goals where you say that was an excellent piece of play by the opposition. Most of the goals we concede, you can clearly identify where we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot. These last few weeks, these goals we've been conceding, we very rarely get cut open by opposition. Celtic, even today, for all these, you know, great attacking players they've got and they're supposed to be this swashbuckling team, they never they never cut us open on really any occasion. It was all our own doing and that's been the case too often these last few weeks. And for me, it's another area of the team that needs badly addressing is how we defend when we don't have the ball and how we press and how we just switch off at times. We we see it when the opposition have got a free kick in our, our half. The number of times our players just turn their back on it and walk away. 
or when they've got a throw in in our half the number of times our players just turn their back on it we don't we're not alive to the play we're not quick enough we're not sharp enough in these moments and today it's cost us massively I think the, 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 the phrase that Brian used there, you know, Celtic didn't have to be swashbuckling. They, 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 you know, you think of swashbuckling and, you know, Errol Flynn, you know, flying round uh, <laughs> pirate ships with his cutlass in his hand, you know, fighting his way through to, to, to win the, the treasure or the, the hand of the lady or something like that. Celtic were more akin to the Slag Brothers out of the Wacky Racers with a big club. <laughs> because they knew all they had to do was stay in the game and Rangers would make a mistake. Rangers would make an error. And when that happened, wham, yeah. it's over and done with. And and that was all they had to do. They could stick in the game. Rangers were never going to, you know, they had the possession stats and all the rest of it. I, I read one or two people saying, oh, Rangers did quite well. Well, listen, until such times as artistic impression um, comes into football and you give a mark for that, it's down to goals, and Rangers never really looked like scoring many goals today. But Celtic only had to wait on these mistakes. And as Brian rightly says, I mean, it was, it was, it, I was, was going to say Sunday League stuff, it was pub league when everybody turns up with a hangover, you know. And just, first of all, Rangers completely switched off when the free kick was taken. Yeah. And then waited on something like Newton's fourth law of gravity or something like that and taking effect, and, and a ball which was stationary rolling towards them as if it's some magnetic force field that was actually going to attract it to them. And Celtic, on both occasions, responded and reacted quicker. And that's all you're looking for f- for your team in those moments. And lo and behold, another blunder and Rangers are a goal behind, chasing the game. And you know that when Rangers have got a goal behind for a long period of time, if they struggle to score a goal to break the deadlock, they struggle even more to get back into the game once they've lost one, especially against a team as resolute and as well-organised as Celtic. This is not a a great Celtic side. It's just that they do the simple things far better than anybody else in that league. Stuart, one of the things that, fr- that frustrated me about the goal, other than the, sort of the, the basic error and the lead-up to the goal, and it's frustrated me for a wee while now, is the amount of goals we lose where a cross comes in either from the right-hand side straight to the rear post or, or vice versa. I think we've seen it way too often. Probably predominantly we've seen it in, in Europe. In, in Gerrard's tenure, we've seen it quite a lot. It's really frustrating when you see a ball come across to the left back position, and we know that there's been a they've all fannied about in that corner and done nothing with it. But Tav gets caught out at the back post again, and it just it just looks like a, a comedy of errors for for them to take the lead today. Because of the system that the, the teams play, uh, I'm not going to make some sort of tactical well, thing. But the way the teams play, if you play four at the back. Historically, teams played with four midfielders, and you can you can mix them up how. But the guy who was a wide guy was always a guy who tracked back with a runner who was going wide, which allowed your your right back or your left back, if they did drift into the middle, at least he knew he had some level of cover behind him by somebody filling that void that he was going to leave. It just doesn't happen now because you play with 
two holding midfielders who seldom leave that middle channel and, f- and another three guys who are the attacking midfielders who basically go, is it my job to track back? Mm, don't think so. You will, you look at the really effective teams around and the, the guys who play right attack midfielder, left attack midfielder or whatever it is, they will track, track back and if they don't, teams are getting found out. Look at you know, you look at what's happened to Liverpool because teams have worked out that their full backs press on, so you're going behind them. You look yeah. at Arsenal the other night against Manchester City, press, 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 Man City, bang, over the top, and we've got guys like Haaland and Van Bro- and uh, sorry, um De Bruyne. De Bruyne in the midfield and one or two others, you'll score goals when that happens. Yeah. Scottish football is not at that level, so the the most basics, the most basic things, will will um will see you through. And, and I'm reminded last week, um, Ali McCoyce was on breakfast on Talk Sport, and he spoke to Laura Woods, and she she had a, a bit of a giggle that Ali had captained Rangers once or twice, and you know, he said once or twice. And, and she said, only once or twice. He went, well, there were other guys that would captain the team before me. And you went into that team. And if it wasn't a golf who was captain the Rangers, you had people like John Brown, you had people yeah. like Ian Ferguson, you had you had other people in that team who were stepping up and wearing the captain's armband. That current Rangers team, there are no captains. Tavenier is captain, for me, in name only, because he does, he scores some remarkable goals, some remarkable free kicks. He contributes as an, a, an attacking option. But when push comes to shove, I don't think I've ever seen him grab hold of people and give them a, a telling off on the pitch for not doing the job they're supposed to be doing. Why? Yeah. Because there are times where he doesn't do it himself. And I, and I, I do think there is real a real lack of leadership in that Rangers team. That Rangers team. And I've thought it for uh, a considerable while. And people will say, well, Goldson did okay. Yeah, they do okay. Lundstrom might have done okay. Doing okay isn't enough if you're going to win things, and certainly not enough given the history that Rangers have. So, we, I, now I don't want to get too far ahead of where I am here, but Stuart, you, you brought up an interesting point there on Tavernier. They're I all interesting. They're all interesting. That's why you I'm, paid the big money. That's true, I that's why you get more than us. Um one thing that I I, I think is really interesting, the summer Beals obviously are gonna to have to make big decisions. Um and I I do think and people won't like us saying it, I get that, I understand that because he scored hundred goals, but I think the the position of James Tavernier is a big discussion point whether he remains captain or whether I, I don't think there's a, a particular appetite for him to leave the club, Stuart, but would do you think I don't need to say take the captaincy off him, but you have to wonder what he's bringing when he is captain. As you rightly say, I I, I grew up watching Goff and um, more recently Barry Ferguson, who was a successful captain. Butcher as well, a few times he captained and he was surrounded by guys who were of a similar, not roaring ilk, but they had that ability to, to drag them through games. I think Tavernier's missing that beside him just now. Yeah, you know, no, no I, I would... I would agree with that. I think, you know, the captaincy, people who go into the, the captaincy of a football team, it's different from the, the captaincy in cricket or even the cap- captaincy in rugby and what you do. But 
if you're the captain on the pitch, there should be at least another two guys or three guys in that team who yeah. would tell you what to do. I mean, I, 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 I was, I was, I was thinking about different things and different examples of this with Rangers. Remember the two-two game against Marseille came back thirty years ago, yeah, and um, Stephen Presley, I think, was a, scored an own goal, right? Yeah, and and Gorham. Andy tried to blame Presley for the own goal. Well, it was his own goal. But Presley basically pointed the finger at, at Gorham and told the goalie, you should have been coming for that. That's your fault. I'm playing the ball because you didn't come for it. Now, that was a young guy who was still in his teens, but had the, the wherewithal to actually say, no, you made the mistake. And I'm not saying you can go from 1 to 11 or whatever your squad numbers are and think that everybody's got to be a captain. But the you know I, all through all through my time of having anything to do with Rangers or watching Rangers or whatever, I can always think that there were two or three or four people in that team who were, if you like, vice captains, yeah, and who would who would give other people a rollicking for not doing their job. When that goal was scored today, what did you actually see? If you actually watch it. There were people throwing their hands up, almost like, almost like, oh, no, how, how did that happen? You know, it was like, rather than people doing a bit of finger pointing and saying, that was your job, Aye. switch on, no, switch on up there as well, do your job, where yeah. were you? It was such an easy goal. And as I said earlier, Celtic hard, hardly had to break sweat to beat Rangers because they knew the mistake was coming and if you are playing against opposition who are reading the game like that and reading how 90 minutes will go just bide your time just keep it as a blind don't lose any goals don't panic we'll get a chance when it comes just take it you're almost you know you're almost losing the game before you start because unless you can iron out these mistakes, the most basic and fundamental mistakes of one, doing your job, and two, doing the marking and covering that you should be doing, then you're you're on a hiding to nothing. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree with you. And I, I do think that I do think the captaincy role and any vice captain role in the summer is something that Michael Beale will have to consider amongst many, many other things. Don't forget, this is Jersey. It's the old film review podcast on your Sunday night. My name's Scott Patterson. If you're joining us, as always, you're very welcome. Big thanks to our partners for the season, Forest Precision Engineering. They, of course, have their um, own hospitality box in the main stand at Ibrox. If you want to have a wee check out of that, I recommend you do. Give them a wee email, hospitality at rangers.co.uk. We're very grateful for their support this year. <laughs> Brian, um, how does fashion Sakala not score? I have no idea, but it's not the first time I've said that um, in the <laughs> last uh, seven days, to be honest, does it really? And that's becoming the problem with, with fashion Sakala. You know, people say oh, he's a menace, he's unpredictable, but his finishing is just so woeful that you just wouldn't trust him to to play up front, to be honest, it's, it's a real problem, just the front three in general. I wouldn't necessarily back any of them to score when they're one-on-one with a goalkeeper. Now, Sakala's one today for me was worse because it was virtually an open goal. The goalkeeper yeah. wasn't even in the equation. He had the whole goal essentially came at and he still manages to put it wide. Um, so, yeah, um, probably if there was one of the forwards you didn't want that one to land to, it would have been Sakala. Yeah. Uh, but, 
Yeah, I don't know how he misses it, but for me it's now becoming a question whether if we can get any sort of fee for Sakala in the summer, I think we should potentially look at it. I was all for keeping him as a squad player. I think I mentioned on the previous podcast, I wouldn't mind keeping him as a squad player. Um, but for me, if, if there's any clubs that would give us a fee for him, I would be seriously considering it because I think for this rebuilding this summer, we need to try and generate some income and he might be a player that, that we could do that with. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a shocking miss. Um, I still Stuart, can't um, quite believe it. Stuart, Fashion had one of these days where everything he touched, the open goal, and then he had the cross, and then he had another shot that literally went out for a throw-in. And the fact he just had one of those afternoon. And let's be honest, if there's ever a game that you don't want to have an afternoon, it's against Celtic. But when it's a Scottish Cup final, Scottish Cup semi-final rather than you're chasing the game, you just need to be on it. And I do wonder if he scores that that chance because it's nearing the end of the game. It puts an entirely different sort of um, bubble around the the final sort of ten minutes. But I, I, I've, I've watched a couple. I've seen a still of it, and we need better quality. Than that, but it's so. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's easy to us, for us to score. I I find it hard to understand how he's missed. Yeah, I I mean, I think especially in the last, uh, I'd say probably in the last, well, certainly fifteen years, you you have to take everything with the prerequisite or or the the precondition that. If there are people playing for Rangers just now, it's because they're probably no good enough to be playing elsewhere. <laughs> and you know, Sakala Sakala is not a, a goal scorer, and I've seen some of the some of the best, um, not just at Rangers, but across the world, not scoring goals they should have scored. Yeah. But that was that was one that I'm I'm sure he will wake up. You know, about half past one this morning. You know, suddenly and and think I've scored. Oh no, I never scored. Did I? I better go back to sleep again. And if he goes back to sleep, he, he shouldn't be at Ibrox. And that should be haunting him for a while. It just, it, it, it just wasn't a, a a great day for him. The, the other thing I would say, and a, a bit in his defence, he's put on a half time to salvage the situation because Kent wasn't up to it. Correct, absolutely. And you can be critical of Sakala, but always remember the guy that you turned up to see and turned up and hope that you would actually get a game out of him, namely Kent, just didn't do it, didn't cut it, didn't produce. So, yeah, you can be critical of Sakala, but even after 45 minutes, he shouldn't have been on the pitch. So I, I would, I would take, I'd always, you know, put that kind of precursor in there that maybe, you know, wrong place, wrong time, definitely. But it was a place he shouldn't have actually been in. Sure, do you think, and I'll stick with you on this one because it'll take us quite nicely into the, the, the chat that takes us up to um, what happens in the summer. Probably a bit concerning that we go into a semi-final against Celtic in the front three or however we're playing it, whether we're playing with two wingers and a 10 or a, a number nine, it was just so fruitless for them, and I, I don't, I don't think I buy into the theory it's because Celtic were so good defensively. I think it was just we were so poor in that sort of offensive manner that you really need to be on your game at on these occasions. Yeah, I, I, I mean, 
I, I mean, I think that the managers get this. Managers get this certain formations in their heads, and it's how they're going to play. And this, you know, four two three one is the the, the the formation that Rangers play in. In some respects, that's a formation that other people use. But I th- I've never thought that Rangers have the, had the personnel to play that particular okay. formation. If, they, if, if Rangers came out and played 4-5-1, I would see it more of a... Uh, it might be slightly more pragmatic, but you, at least you'd be identifying the fact that we're going to play in a particular way and not put the onus on the guys to say, well, we think we, you, you, and you should all be amongst their goal scorers. Yeah. I mean, in the past 30-odd 30, 30 years, you know, probably even approaching 40 years, you can count on one hand. In fact, you may be able to count probably on a couple of fingers how many players Rangers have had at their disposal who genuinely were box-to-box attacking Attack-minded midfielders who would produce a finish. Yeah, the only the two that spring to mind for me would be Durant and Barry Ferguson. Yeah, okay. I, 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 you know, George Alberts had a, a, a time when he might do it. Van Bronckhorst had a time when when he could probably do it. But these guys are as rare as I was going to say head Steve, but actually they're as rare as trophies. Ibrooks in the past, you know, couple of seasons. So to, to to find somebody like that, you are really um, you're going to toil. The, the, the thing is, Rangers found both of those ki- guys as kids and came through the ranks at Ibrooks rather than going out and trying to buy somebody. Um, yeah. So maybe they should look closer to home. But you 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 look at those guys, and some of them can decide whether they are wide players who should be attacking, wide players who should be supporting, central midfielders who should be defending first and then attacking, or where the hell they are. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, you can go back through s- several teams. I mean, Walter Smith wasn't averse to turning up and playing big games with four centre-backs in his team. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. And because needs must, and that's that's the way you know the pragmatic approach would be if we don't let them score, we've got half a chance of winning in the the, the game on the break. I, I think that sometimes Rangers are, are, are sending teams out that on paper, yeah, this is what they're capable of, but the, the, the difference is that that's that's you playing the game out in your head or playing it on paper, the practicalities are. The, the teams will line up a certain way to stop or negate these players. And I don't think Rangers have got enough guile or gumption to counteract that. Brian, one of the... Um, I don't want to say that it wasn't a shining light at all, but if we want to take a positivity element from it today, I felt that Antwell and Raskin actually both played all right. I thought Antwell probably had his best old firm game thus far. I didn't think he had a great time at, at Celtic Park. I thought it was okay today. Um, there was obviously rumours that were sort of flying about yesterday in social media that Raskin was out for the game. I felt as the game went on, he continued to look like he was tiring a little bit, which perhaps buys into the theory that he may not have been 100% fully fit. Um, those two played okay. Uh, and I, I think if, if Beal is given the, the support financially 
in the summer to bring in guys of a similar ilk, um, he should be okay if we're bringing in guys that are like these two. Yeah, I, I definitely trust Neil in terms of he's having more of a say in the transfers. I'm pretty comfortable with that. I think he knows, basically he knows how to identify a player. He seems to know what he wants in a player. He's been in Scottish football long enough now to know what it takes to win Scottish football. So hopefully that helps him in terms of identifying players and the kind of attributes that they need that maybe we don't see. Um, so I'm pretty confident in that. I thought Cantwell did reasonably well today. I thought he you know, created some good stuff. He had some good touches. I thought he tried to link the play. I don't think he's helped with Morelos being pretty immobile just now up front. I think that really hampers our attacking play with how just immobile he is just now. Yeah. Um, so hopefully once we get you know, a more mobile striker in there, Bill's talked about needing a new number nine. So hopefully once that arrives in the summer, that kind of helps guys like Cadwell in terms of playing those balls through. Um, Raskin, I thought he did okay, although he was on the scene of the crime for the, their goal. So I would slightly um, take marks off him for that. Um, yeah. He does seem to tired in games. I've kind of noticed that a few times. He's always the kind of first one to go off. There's always rumours about him being injured for games. So when I heard that rumour last night, I was starting to get a bit worried about just his general fitness. Um, yeah. He's missed a few games and if you know, if there's ever a pre-game rumour about an injury, it's usually Raskin at the minute. I'm hoping that he's just a player that needs a pre-season. I know that before he came here, he hadn't played an awful lot. He was out in the cold um, in Belgium. So hopefully, once he gets a pre-season under his belt, he'll, he'll be flying next season um, in terms of fitness and form. And yeah, very confident that Bills seems to have all his ducks in a row in terms of he knows who he wants to bring in. He's been saying for weeks now that all the work in terms of the incoming's done. He's identified the players. It's now just a case of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Hopefully we'll start to see some results of that soon. And I guess they'll then be judged on, on what they do next season. But at the moment in terms of, you know, Cantwell and Raskin, that's the two kind of Positives, if you want to call that, to come out of these, the kind of back half of this season. And if we can find more players of that quality, then hopefully we should be in a much better position next season. But I mean, Morelos as Morelos took. I mean, he's this the 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 starting striker, starting number nine. I mean, but honestly, he he carved a new niche when it comes to a false number nine because he, you know. I mean, I, I've seen corner flags that are more threatening than anything that he has done in, in this particular game. The other thing that was as worrying is that you'll get Scott Arfield coming off the, the, the bench and playing his part. Okay, 100% trier, 100% a Rangers guy. But remember, it wasn't that long ago since we were hearing about the quality that Rangers had in this squad yeah. And you're still pulling somebody aged, pensionable age in football terms, off the bench to salvage your season. Yeah. You know, Hadji, he comes off the bench a matter of minutes to go. Rangers fans are hoping, oh, it's Hadji. Let's hope we get something from him. But you're even with him, you're hoping about the Hadji that was playing 18 months ago, not yeah. the guy who's given anything. And I, and I think there's there are too many people hoping that Rangers players who did the job for them in the past can do something again when the actual reality is they've not done enough 
recently to actually justify being there. That's a problem overall at Rangers at times as we hold on to players too long and we romanticise what they've done for us in the past. Yeah. I think there comes a time when we need to say, right, you know, it's been great for us, but now's the right time to, to cash in. And for me, we haven't done that enough. It's, it's something that, that we kind of badly need to look at in terms of this player trading model that we keep talking about. It's the right time to cash in on players and get the maximum value. History level, history lesson number one. Exam, exhi- exhibit A, John Gregg. Yeah, okay. absolutely. You only, yeah. Need to, you only need to look back at the team and the players that he had at his disposal and how he hung on to them and clung on to them because of what they'd done in the past rather than giving a whole bunch of other guys a chance and they just they just drifted away. Yeah. Stuart Michael Beale said post-match that um, this summer... Um, as he, he basically alluded to this summer being a, a huge um, rebuild. I've said um, a couple of times previously that I reckon this summer could be um, almost advocate-esque in the amount mm. of bodies coming in and the bodies going out. I think it has to be. You know, I mean, we're, we're slowly but surely seeing players um, almost develop a skin that is the Rangers skin now I think you're seeing guys that are almost not desperate to get out I don't mean it like that but you're certainly seeing guys that seem keen to progress their career elsewhere now aren't you? Yeah because I think and I think it's very simple in, in you know in Scottish football I think I've spoken to enough players from both halves of Glasgow over the years and that mindset comes when you're not getting the better of your biggest rivals. Yeah. It's, it's, happened, it's happened to Rangers just now. It happened to Celtic during the 90s when Rangers were on, um, you know, the nine in a row run. It happened even, um, you know, um, during um, the last years of uh, Walter Smith's tenure when, when Rangers were all sort of dominant then and some of the players that decided this isn't doing, you know, coming second isn't doing me any favours here and I think there's one or two who have got that mindset I think to themselves, anybody talks about Scottish football, they're talking about Celtic I play for Rangers do I really need to be here or do I really want to be here and and that and it, you know, that doesn't really engender you know, great positivity amongst the rest of the squad when you've got this sort of man, mind, thyself attitude about it. But I can see why it, it keeps in. It's human nature. You could be the best and most decorated coach in football. But, you know, again, when that doubt, that seed of doubt is planted or that doubt sort of comes over you like a cloud, it's very difficult to get rid of it. And I think some people, some players, it's easier to get rid of them than it is to cast away that doubt that they've got in their heads. Stuart, but obviously the the club are going through a bit of a, I don't want to say a restructure, but there's definitely bodies that are moving around in the old chessboard. We know that John Bennett's came in as the new chairman and we know that Stuart Robertson disappears at the end of the season and, and James Bisgrove moves into this new role. No one has mentioned who is coming in to do the, the Ross Wilson role. As we move into the quite literally the dying embers of the season now, the sort of tickly bit, if you like, where we have to be getting guys in Bosmans and we have to be lining new signings up. Should we be concerned as a support that Bill doesn't have that middleman, if you like, between the board and himself to look after maybe the football transfers, if you like? Uh, I mean, I'm... I have wondered, I mean, if you look at the success rate that Ross Wilson had, yeah, he 
he managed to unearth some diamonds, but there was a hell of a lot of coal, you know, a hell of a lot of coal slurrying amongst that as well, wasn't there? I mean, he was, you know, he was. Um, it wasn't all um, contenders for the Ballon d'Or. I mean, some should have been shown the door after, you know, a matter of a matter of weeks. Um, I think whoever comes in there, they've got to be able to do two things. One, come up with the players ultimately that suit the manager and whatever he might want to try or try and achieve or whatever style he wants to progress. Yeah. And the other thing is whoever comes into that role has to be convincing enough to manage to get extricate money out of the coffers to fund the operation. Yeah. You know, I think it's I, I think you're absolutely spot on with what you said there, Scott. There's a, a number of pieces on the chessboard just now that are getting moved around and you're actually looking at some and think to yourself, can you actually make that move? You know, are you allowed to do that? I thought I thought it was only the, the night that was able to do that. You seem to be <laughs> I've lost track of where you're supposed to be going here. But, I, I, you know, I, I think you, you get my gist here. I, th- I think whoever comes in will, will need to be a really good negotiator and want to get players to come to Ibrox. But secondly, they'll need to be a really new, good negotiator as well to to get the the, the purse strings sort of slightly loosened to bring in players. And it's going to be interesting, again, uh, Scott, Brian, is to see the markets that Rangers actually that's the go down just now Celtic have won a watch in terms of Ange Postacoglu's knowledge of Japanese football because he's brought these guys in from Japan who have proven to be winners because he has cornered that market if you remember and you go back you know to the likes of Advocat Advocat brought a whole load of Dutchmen in that you know nobody really heard of and yeah. for the for the most part some of these guys were, you know, sensational. Um, I, I, I think that Rangers are looking for somebody who has a good understanding of a great many markets, but has real knowledge in certain places. I don't think we saw that. I, the thing, one thing that greatly let me down was in terms of Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's tenure was, you know, he must have known the players that were floating around in Eredivisie and the Dutch players that were here, there and everywhere and nobody came in. He's yeah. the only, only Dutchman or the only person from another country not to sign his own countrymen. I mean, it was quite incredible. So I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see who Rangers can bring in on the cheap, uh, you know, i.e. on Bosman's or in loan deals and who they're going to spend the money on. I don't think the money, there's loads of money there. Hence the reason why anybody that's getting shipped out will have to go for decent decent money and there'll have to be a saving in one or two of the wages as well. When you hear what certain range of players are on just now for what they've done, I don't think they're getting value for money. Far from it. Absolutely. Brian, one of the things I seen last week, Chris Jack said, I think it was on the Rangers Review, actually said it was, it was around about the time we were linked with um, Kieran Dowell. His name came into the, the equation and the suggestion that Jack Butland as well is those two guys. And do you know what I mean? The indication was that if we're looking to build a team that's going to be Champions League worthy, Championship winning worthy, 
Um, we should probably be looking a bit further afield than the Championship down south. Where you placed on that? I would hope we would. I think in this occasion, this is possibly just Michael Beal going back to the market that he knows in terms of that English Championship. He obviously knows that league well. He knows the teams in it. He knows the players in it. He yeah. does seem to like to go back for players that he's had previous relationships with. So I would expect one or two of them to come in over the summer. But I would like to think that we'd cast on there a bit wider in terms of a broad, you know, he brought Baskin in from Belgium. So he's obviously got, you know, contacts abroad. He's aware of players out with England, so I would like to think that they'd be casting their net as far and wide as they can. You know, Celtic have proven that the Asian markets, possibly an untapped market, maybe. You know, we should be looking at other untapped markets as well that you know we don't often see players from Scotland arrive from. Um, so yeah, there's definitely scope to to go further afield than, than just the Championship. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that that's where the bulk of our Kind of links are coming from just now in terms of we know that Michael Beale's got kind of more control over the transfers in this window, so it's no surprise he's going back to the market he's familiar with. Just to go back to a point that Stuart made about the potential new director of football, you know, he'll also need to be a good negotiator in terms of offloading players. Um, like Stuart said, I don't, I don't think there's going to be masses of money um, floating around to, to go and buy a striker for X number of millions. Um, so we need to try and get some some value out of these players that we potentially want to offload them. And it's it's difficult to get top value for players that other clubs know that you want to sell. They're not going to pay top value if they know that you actively want to sell X player. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another um, thing we need to look at in terms of getting a director of football. And the one thing I'll say about Ross Wilson is. I believe he did manage to get money for Eros Gresda, so maybe we should have held on to him um, <laughs> until, until the summer business was done, just so he could look after the outgoings. Because yeah, I think that was a trick that not many could have pulled off. I think, I think it's a pity currently that, that, that human organ trafficking is no longer allowed. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I, I think that'd be, I think that'd be, would bring us in, you know, a, a, a right few quid. Mm. But I mean, ultimately. Uh, you know, and, and again, Brian's point is is totally justified. I think the the, the fact that word has got out and it got out really early on in the season that there were certain players whose future at Ibrooks was in doubt a while ago, long before this semi final came around. Yeah, you know, even even when. Bill was in the middle of his honeymoon period and, and winning games that ultimately the Rangers looked as if they were actually going to lose. You, you know, I think even then that there was word coming out that Rangers were going to get rid of X, Y and Z in the lead up to, or, or, or at least during the summer. That might have unsettled one or two players, but it also meant that the market knew that Rangers were going to have a, a bargain basement clear out um, and that there'd be players to be had, you know, on the cheap, I, I, I do think that you know, I, I, I don't worry about the future of certain certain players if they leave Ibrox. I think they they'll be you know they'll be uh, fine elsewhere. And like say Barisic, if he left, I think you know I think more than one club would be happy to take him uh, back in in Croatia or you know various others might disappear back to Europe. But I, I, I do think it's going to be a real. It might be the biggest. If you like the biggest signing that Rangers actually do make is whoever fills that director of football role. Stuart, I want to stick with you because obviously when Michael Beale came up, you would imagine that 
part of his remit, and I'm assuming managers are set remits the minute they, they sort of they, they change job. You would imagine one of the suggestions was that you retain this trophy this season. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you obviously there's a huge amount of pressure that's instantly piled on yourself, regardless of what you do in the summer, because you start the new season trophyless, regardless if you've got a new one eleven or not. Um, the pressure that I think now falls on Michael Beale to have a really clever summer with buying and selling and that whole trading model um, is hugely emphasised on the back of no trophies this season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wonder where the bar was set, like yourself, Scott. Where, where is the bar? Where did the Rangers board set the bar for Michael Beale yeah. this season? Currently, he has had two fails at a very jumpable height, yeah. to my to my mind. Um, I think they're going to hoist the bar up a bit higher for him now and say, well, you failed at those two heights. You've got one more jump left in this competition. You either do it or there's the there's the door. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Regardless of what was going on and what was being said and the relationships at various levels, it makes no sense at all for you to jettison a guy who got you to a European final and won you the Scottish Cup after a matter of months into the next season when the guy who's replaced him has has done absolutely nothing, especially in the defence of the one trophy you did win. You know, it was... I, I don't. I, I think. I think that fact that the Rangers are, are going to end this season trophyless and the disappointment of it virtually ending, you know, in the end of season dances later on, and the three of us are going to get our, our bow ties on, and because we're, we're a bit late just now, but it, it, season <laughs> season's over regardless of how you tart it up. I, I do wonder how much time Bill will have to first of all get the team that he wants gelled together on the pitch and produce results. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, how long he'll have to to put it right? I don't think he'll have very long. No. And and you know I I have to say when he came up, I was I, I was really quite happy with the appointment. Um but I I think you're right, he's, he's there's been an element of stumbling recently. And then, and listen, I'm not suggesting that it wouldn't have happened under Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. I'm not entirely sure that it, they would have had the, the same results under Van Bronckhorst that Bill had initially, but um, the the last few weeks have been a bit disappointing. The trip to Chelsea Park, the trip to Tawdry today. Um, Brian, we now run into the last five games of the season, five absolute dead rubbers for want of a, a better um, term or expression, not to mention um, another old film game. Um, which comes, of course, I think it's a fortnight today. Um, no Celtic supporters at, at Ibrox, of course, that'll be an interesting game. Um, and certainly one that surely um, we will look to get one over on them. You would like to think so, but I just worry where this team's belief is in terms of playing Celtic again so quickly. They, they must feel how Celtic felt during the 55 season, where we knew before we played them that we had them beat before going to the pitch. Yeah. And in those games, I remember the game where, I think it was a 1-0 game at Parkhead, where Callum McGregor scores the own goal. We didn't even have a shot at target, but we still knew we were going to beat them. I had absolutely no doubt in that day that we were going to beat them. And to be honest, that must be how, how they feel. And I think we've, and I think there's an element of our players 
feeling like they're beat before they go into the pitch now against Celtic because they've got that scar tissue. So I do worry about this game because they'll be looking to make a, another statement just taking a against Rob Solid at the wins. Um, our players know that it's a dead rubber. They know that for a lot of them it's you know their, their last old firm game and you know they're fast running out of games in a Rangers shirt. So I guess this all comes down to professional pride and and how much they want to just kind of have one one last one last go at trying to um, put a performance in against them and, and give the fans something before they sign off. Because that's really all it is. They've flown the last chance at Silverware. So it now just becomes about professional pride and really just trying to give the fans something to, um, before they sign off. Yeah, you know, listen, Stuart, as a, as a supporter... Um, I think you always like to give um, your players the, the benefit of the doubt, but there's no doubt that tonight, and I'm sure a lot of the Rangers supporters up and down the country and all around the world indeed are, are thinking the same. There's just, I think everyone's kind of scunnered with this squad of players just now. Um, and as I say, I, I don't want to accuse people of, of downing tools or lacking effort. Um, but there's definitely a, a, a feeling of just being entirely fed up with the same players falling at the same hurdles and the same big games um, just almost not turning up. And it does mean big decisions have to be made in these guys and things do need to change moving into a new season. Yeah, I wonder how many, and it's not that many, but how many of those Rangers players today are going home and getting absolute dogs abuse from their families at losing uh, yet another game to Celtic? I mean, I think yeah. I, I, I saw some kind of stat that was seven successive old firm games that Rangers had gone a goal behind in. Terrible start. I mean, that, that, that is, should not be, you know, I think even Rangers fans would take scoring a goal in the first minute and, and hanging on to get a draw rather than rather than losing the first goal and then losing the game. So I, I do wonder how much for want of a better description, how much hurt and pain there is at losing another game to Celtic or whether it's almost like that just becomes the norm. If you look at it, if you look at it, the, there's all these different stats flying around and, and, and various, you know, graphs and all the rest of it, but Scottish football, and, and you've got Celtic, Celtic up there, then Rangers there, then a bunch of teams there, and then a bunch of teams there. That's Scottish yeah. football. Rangers are above the rest, but there's a gap between them and Celtic, and a huge gap between Celtic and, the, and, and, and that kind of bunch. Yeah. This, and I, I'll say it again, and you know, I, I remember several years ago being on various hate lists among Celtic fans because I said that the, the team that Brendan Rodgers had that had gone on beaten was probably only about the seventh best Celtic team that I'd ever seen. Yeah. And and but then again the whole there was a whole bunch of you know all the all the kids that grew up with PlayStations and all the rest of it they, they told me differently. Um but I I I do wonder if these kind of defeats actually hurt enough of these guys to the core to understand that the, the whole this whole garbage that's come out from Rangers players Oh, we've, we've, we've progressed. No, you haven't. You're going back the way. You, performance-wise, you're going back the way. Mentality-wise, 
you're disappearing in a rear view mirror. You just don't have the mentality to win some of these games. And well, we know how the fans hurt. No, you don't. You really don't know how the fans hurt. This is going back. This is going back to the John Gregg days of 1983 and the likes. When no, then it wasn't only just Celtic. It was Dundee United and Aberdeen were doing much, much better than Rangers. But this is this is kind of unacceptable, given the fact where Rangers have come from, and I mean winning a title a couple of years back and reaching the European final. You know, uh, uh, you know, all within all within loving memory. Even if you were drunk all the way through it, you would still remember where Rangers had been to where they're at now, and that that means that they turn up for all firm games and they do not look capable of getting a result against. A, a decent Celtic side, let alone an outstanding one. Yeah, no, listen, you're absolutely right. Stuart, it's good to have you on. I appreciate you coming on. It's, a, it's been a, it's hard to go on and do these pods after your team get pumped. And I'm, I'm, good at, I'm good at post-mortems and, and my eulogies at funerals are, are, are legendary. And I've just treated, <laughs> I've just treated the say, this evening as much the same. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks coming on. It's always good to see you. Um, Brian, good to have you on as well, buddy. I'm glad you could make it. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure just pushing with the bell circumstances. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so don't forget, um, Jersnet will be back on Friday night where we preview the first of the final games of the split Aberdeen come to town next weekend, which should be an absolute delight. So we look forward to that. I'm not entirely sure who's looking after it. Are you looking after things on Friday, Brian? I don't think it's me. So it must be Colin, or it might be Craig Ray, actually. That's how I gave it spin the bottle. Oh, it's pointing you. Goodness <laughs> me. So listen, as I say, we're back on Friday night. If you can check out the guys, then I recommend you do. For now, um, don't forget to check us out across on our website, allwsjersnet.co.uk. Lots and lots of good stuff in there, including the forum and lots of historical stuff as well. If you can check it out, I recommend you do. Have a good week. I am back probably at some point in May, I think, for your time tonight. Good night.